The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. Woo. Had some worship up in here today. So good. Worship is not just singing, right? It's feeding a baby at 3 a.m. Taking care of a diaper after you just took care of a diaper. It's saying you're sorry to your spouse when you struggle with saying those words. It's loving your neighbor, even the one with the barky dog that you wish would go into heaven. Not the neighbor, the dog. Um, maybe both. I don't know your situation. Uh, it's all the pieces like the Pastor Joe was just talking about. And it's very easy for us today in the church to be polished and have this veneer of gold when we have an inside of mud, of brokenness, of hurt and pain. And man, I'm right here with you. I, I think I, I preached here probably three years ago. And I've had so much broken stuff happen to me since then. I kind of come limping into your pulpit, not jumping. So, um, it, Jimmy called me, and I had the pleasure of coming and talking to refuge students this weekend. And we did, we did two studies, and I'm going to go over it quickly. But get out your Bible. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, um, whether it's digital or old school, hard copy Bible or um, whatever, laptop, whatever you need to do. Because you need to see the Word of God for it, to, for it to move in your spirit. So two kinds of people here today, those of you that know Jesus... Uh, you have been justified in your heart. There's been a baptism of fire. Um, that's the, the baptism that saves, by the way. And then you, you follow that probably with water baptism, which is showing everybody this is the team you're on now. Um, there, those of you that are walking with Jesus, already crazy good things have happened in your life that you never thought you would be a part of because of Christ, and you're sold out to him. And there's also horrendous, ugly sins that you've committed as you've walked with Jesus that embarrass you and hurt your heart and because you know it offends a holy God. Uh, there's another group of people here today that you e- are either fall under the religious category or you're just super clear about, hey, I'm not a Christian, but I'm here. I just want to say uh, welcome, those of you that are here. Zero judgment upon you. None of us can save you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The church's responsibility is just to share and demonstrate change. If we can do that, the Holy Spirit will move, which means we are not perfect people, so stop acting like you are. When somebody asks you, how's your day going? Feel free, by the grace of God, to say, it stinks today. I'm in pain right now. I'm in a disagreement with my spouse. You don't have to go into detail. That's discernment. But to be able to be open and honest about where you are, that's allowed in the body of Christ. That's how real family should act. Jesus knows you. Heavenly Father knows you. The Holy Spirit knows your heart. He wants to help you. Him being a helper doesn't make him less of a God, by the way. So here's what I want to do today. I told the refuge students this Friday night, I'll tell you uh, today. Um, have you ever wanted to do like a home project or something for school maybe or some type of project, something that you're going to need to go to the store to get supplies for? 
because you don't have anything. You don't have uh, all the supplies you need. And right before you head out to the store to spend a bunch of money, to spend some time to go get which, that which you think you don't need, you look in the garage or a closet and you realize you have everything you need. You ever experienced that before? Half the women are like, that never happens to us. Well, as a sex, y'all are better prepared. But men can understand this. Like, you, we, we have so much stuff. I'm here to tell you today, based on God's word, what Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus, the things that you think you don't have right now in Christ, you have been given them. And you can walk in this. So here's the last paradigm I'll give you before we hit some scripture. If there is anxiety in your life and our students that are coming up all-time high, and anxiety, and issue, and problem, and worry, and fear. Several reasons for that. That's a a whole conference alone. But there's a lot of anxiety here, a lot of fear. Let me just give you a simple paradigm. You cannot have a lot of fear in your life and have a lot of faith in your life. They cannot coexist. It's like oil and water. They can't. And so in, in mine, I'll talk about me, in my life, when fears and anxieties begin to come right up to here, how are we going to handle this new building that we just moved into in mission, uh, things concerning my wife, things concerning my children, things concerning my elders, things concerning my neighbors, my health, and it goes on and on. If those anxieties are what dominates me in the moment, then my faith is at an all-time low. So you have to check yourself today, and there's freedom in preaching in somebody else's pulpit because I don't know you guys. I know some of you. So you can't say afterwards, you know, you're talking to me. I may be talking to you. I don't know you. If your fear is here, and it is crippling you, and it is stopping you from doing the things that you want to do, or it's enabling you to act out and do the things that you hate in Christ, then you have to... You have to you have to take a hard look. Is, are you building your faith muscles? Because as faith increases, as our comprehension and belief in Christ and believe that he has given us everything we need, as that increases, your fear, by definition, must go down. All right? So here's what's going to happen. I'll tell you right now, and then I'll, I'll, I'll maybe mention it at the end of the sermon if I remember. As we study the Word of God today, if you proactively choose to be a part of this and not check your Facebook or watch mental movies or figure out if you're going to beat the Baptist Alubis or whatever your thing is, if you choose to engage in this, because I can't, I can't make you, if you choose to say, Lord, I want to learn today from your word, then by the end of this, you will feel your fears recede. It's a promise. It's a guarantee, not from me, but from the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless us. Uh, wonderful, just songs of worship. Thank you, Jimmy, for leading us in that. Just broke my heart all over again, and that's where I want to be. I am a, a dying man. I pray speaking to dying people. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, gosh, you know my sin. I'm filthy before you, Lord. I can't make it. I don't do the right things. I have the wrong attitudes. I make horrible choices, and yet... You are the promise maker. You are the miracle worker. You are the one who saves. And Ephesians says, you will never, ever let me go. So as believers in the room right now, we just claim that truth. And we say, in your name, Jesus, we believe you. In your name, Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us 
from this scripture. In your name, Jesus, we pray that you would rebuild us from the inside to the outside. In your name, Jesus, we pray that we would learn how to do community the right way and stop lying to people about how we feel and what we see. In your name, Jesus, we want our faith to be strengthened. We want to believe you more, Lord. Lord, we don't believe. Help our, help our unbelief. So speak to us as you spoke to the church in Ephesus through Paul. We bless you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So the students, what we did is we broke out in groups of three and four. And we asked us a couple questions about this chapter. And I'll give you those questions. Uh, exegetical Bible study is study just almost word for word, verse by verse, what God is saying through that. It's less about your emotions and more about the facts. And so what I want to do is I want to just spend a little bit of time filling you up with the facts of your salvation, filling you up with the, the, the understanding and comprehension of who you are. So when the, when the fear comes this week, you will be so filled with the truth there's no room for the fear. This is our de- designation from Scripture to do uh, as often as we can. So Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. I'm mainly going to preach from 15 on, but I want to go over a few things that we covered in the first part uh, of Ephesians. You can ask our refuge students about it. Refuge, raise your hands. Y'all are all over the room today. Yeah. Ask, ask these, these, these student young people. I don't know what to call y'all, men and women, all right? Young people. I can't believe I'm at that age now where I say young people. I never liked that. I'm sorry, folks. Paul says this in, a, in Ephesians. He's talking about spiritual blessings in Christ. And we use that word a lot. And I love the word. My Pentecostal brothers and sisters love it. I'll see one of them downtown center. Like, hey, man, what's going on? Blessed. I'm like, all right, now settle down. It's early. But they get it, right? And we are blessed. And the more we can understand that we're blessed, which is truth, which is facts, it's going to displace fear. Okay? It's not just a word, church. It's a state. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We're blessed by God. We're blessed through Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing. Now think about this. I'm going to run quick. Uh, you can have, I can send you my outline if you want, and I can talk to you about it later. Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruits of the Spirit. What are the blessings that, that Paul lists to the church in Galatia, that legalistic church? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you want any of those? Do you want any of those, church? You've already been given them. They're yours already in Christ. We can't say anymore about these fruits. Well, you know, um, I'm a patient man, but I don't, you know, I'm not kind. You can't say that. They're all been given to you. We're just not accessing them. Why? Because we have anxieties that increase in different levels, in different areas of our life. And here's what happens. We give up and we defer to somebody else. Well, Pastor Joe will take care of that because he's a pastor, and he's the one that should be talking to these people because that's, that's, listen, you have been given the call to be kind. You have been given the call to be patient. Don't ever say, well, that's just who I am. That's the words of a heretic right there. If we have been saved by Jesus, we have been regenerated by Jesus, we are new creation every day. Doesn't be, you don't have to be who you were. You can be somebody different. 
I'm going to skip down to verse 7. Another highlight. In him we have redemption through his blood. Christus Redemptor. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Because of Jesus, we have been redeemed. What does that mean? Yeah, I'll ask you a question. I think I asked this last time I was here three years ago. How many of y'all know what the gospel is? How many of y'all? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of y'all come up here right now and explain it? Crickets. One dude in the back. I love you already. If you know the gospel, you should be able to talk about the gospel. It is redemption on the deepest level. Martin Luther, one of our reformers, said this. It's the great exchange. We have sin, perversion, bitterness, anger, violence, self-righteousness, all these ugly, horrible things. Jesus has righteousness, perfection, holiness, truthfulness, and he exchanges with us. It's a bad deal for Jesus, great deal for us, okay? Redemption is all your stuff is removed. The payment is done through the cross, through the grave, Jesus coming back from the dead and saying, hey, I still, I am. I am God, and death has no victory over me. Redemption has happened. We are redeemed through what? His blood. The Jews understood this. They understood sacrifice. Now, if you've ever seen an animal bleed out, by the way, all animals, when you try to kill them, they do not like it. They try to run from you. They, won't, they don't say, here am I, send me. They don't say that. You, you take the lifeblood out of an animal. You hunters know this. You ever done it with the knife? You cut the throat of that animal. It's, it's a lot of blood comes out. And what's coming out is their life. That's lifeblood. Okay? The Jews understood the sacrifice that blood had to be shed. A life had to be given over and over and over and over and over again to symbolically pay for their sins. Jesus came and he said what? I've been born among you. I have lived among you. I have been tempted by everything that you have, and yet I've chosen by God's grace to never sin. Therefore, that makes me the perfect sacrifice. So I'm going to go to the worst death imaginable, being hung on a cross. And by the way, it wasn't a James Avery cross. No offense, Mr. James. It was a tall cross like this. And he did not have a little loincloth on. He was put on that cross completely naked. And shame, the creator of the universe... The one that Colossians says holds us together on a subatomic level. He was put on the cross. The perfect one, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Through what? Through the shedding of his blood. You have been redeemed by the blood of a Savior who is a real person and loves you. Through redemption, forgiveness is possible. This comes from what? This comes from God's wealth. God is a wealthy God. Amen? Your adopted father is a wealthy, wealthy God. And from this benevolence and overflow, he gives it away constantly. You ever like ask somebody like if they're eating some peanut M&Ms? Because peanut M&Ms are just from the Lord. I can't (laughs) eat them anymore. But they're so good. I could knock out a whole bag, like Halloween bag, not even like. And somebody that's eating M&Ms, you're like, hey, can I have some M&Ms? And they go like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They give you one stinking M&M. It's always the kids, right? You've bought them M&Ms, and you're asking for some. They're like, yeah, here you go, you got one. Okay? Imagine that. We're asking the Lord for M&Ms. You know what he does? Pours the bag on us, okay? 
So the abundance that God gives us is from his phenomenal wealth, and he has more than you can imagine. He's not running out. So you you think about the the gifts of the Spirit that we just read. Would it be more advantageous for us to have $10 million, which I know sounds good, and I, you know, if you have $10 million and you were tired of it, you can bring it to me. That'd be great. But when I look at those fruits of the Spirit right there, what what if I could really actualize more love, more agape love in my life? What if I could be at more peace? Uh, The word shalom in Greek has like 14 different meanings. It not only means physical, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's wartime, it's, it's, it's all kinds of what if I could have more? What if I could have more patience? How, what, what if all of us had our, our patience like increased by two or three hundred percent? What kind of peaceful human beings would we be? How much mercy could we show? How about gentleness? Fathers, are you gentle? You know, I have three girl babies. I'm a hundred percent dude. I thought I was going to have little dude babies. <laughs> Pink, purple, emotions. I never said once to my mom growing up when I was like, Tommy, how are you feeling? Hungry? That's all I had. <laughs> and my little girls are like, I'm not feeling so good today. Like, I'm sad. I never said that in my life. <laughs> and so there's a, even my dog is female, by the way. Like, <laughs> everything. But listen, my wife has helped me learn how to speak woman, Okay. And to be, and I, I think, I think she's giving me a good report card right now. I'm starting to do it because I would speak to everybody like this. And Selena would say, you're coming across as rough right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? She would say, go look at yourself in the mirror right now. And I would think, oh my gosh, like I have a, what is wrong with me? So I would practice in my mirror. Hey, honey. I didn't know how to do it. So I'm learning to speak. What if I had more gentleness, even more? What if I had more self-control? Let me tell you something. Those fruits of the Spirit, those are the priceless things that we have already been given. Yet this anxiety and fear thing tends to lead us like a ring through a nose of a bull anywhere it wants to go. We miss it. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The only part of that I want to touch on is Jesus has shared with us his inheritance and that God's will is always done. Okay, right there. Now catch this, what he says, last part, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What's he talking about right there? Counsel of his will. His single, singular pronoun, counsel is multiple, right? This is a Trinitarian verse right here. Jesus has been a part of the best community group ever before time began. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, fully loving one another, fully trusting one another, fully speaking truth to one another. Genesis 1, we see God say, let us make man, let us make man in our image. Skip on down to 15. Now, the next little bit, all I want to do is I want to just fill you with the facts of what God has given you so that you and I can walk out of here today and say, you know what? In Jesus' name, I know I'm going to struggle. There's some stuff I don't get. Lord, I don't see you working right now, but I know you are. If we can grab onto these facts, these gifts that we've been given, anxiety must go down. 
Faith must increase. That's just how it is. Verse 15, hear the word of God. For this reason, because of these things, all these gifts that you've been given, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, he's talking to the saints in Ephesus, um, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Because of our kinship, there's family. This is your church family right here, right? We have church family that sometimes is stronger than our blood family. Uh, my wife and I both come out of some brokenness on both sides of our family. There was hor- horrible sexual abuse, physical abuse. There was polygamy. There was murder. All kind of, It's just crazy. And so as we've begun our family, we've been married 19 years now, our desire is that our children would actually enjoy their family, that they would not be stressed over it. Every holiday when we go to see our, our, my in-laws or Selena's in-laws, my, my parents, every holiday for 19 years, we have to pray on the edge of that town. Lord, please don't let any fights break out this Christmas. Lord, please watch over. Lord, show us how to serve. Lord, show us how to care because the stress level is so high. And I don't know about you. I'm just tired of that. I'm tired of it. I want my physical family to be as close and connected as my church family. Well, listen, if you come from curses like I do, in the name of Jesus, the tools he has given you, the capacity he has allowed you to know who he is, is greater than your history. And you don't have to continue to walk out in that that process. Some of you dads are on borderline abuse right now with your children. I know you are. I'm a counselor. You are in my office all the time. Your dad beats you and you're on the border of it all the time. If you don't do something, that line will be crossed. Some of you moms are passing on what your moms did to you, what your fathers did to you. And inside you're hearing a voice saying, that's just how it is. That is not from the Lord. It's not from God. It's from, it's from demonic voice. And that's a real thing. Because of our kinship. Because of our family. This is why Paul is writing to the church. They have a connection. They've been assimilated into the body of Christ. They're together. Paul is thankful for others knowing Jesus like he does. Paul prays for other parts of the church constantly. Do you guys pray for other churches in this area? I know your pastors do. Do you guys? It's no competition, right? Like this is, we're about the kingdom of God. Houston, by the way, needs Jesus. This area needs Jesus. It's interesting to me that some of the larger cities I've spoken in, their church plants are growing at the same rate that their men's clubs are. You know what I'm saying? Like there's not a lessening. It's like evil increases, the church must increase as well. I don't, I'm not a doomsday guy, but I really do think in 5 to 10, the church is going to be radically different than what it is today. I don't think our, our 501c3 is going to be recognized by our government for that much longer. I think we are filled now in the church with, Luther called them visible and invisible church, the church you can see in the church that truly is in their hearts. So men and women, if we don't buckle down and begin to understand what the Bible says to us, when times as they get harder and they will, traps are going to be laid for you. Traps are going to be laid that you violate your covenant. Traps are going to be laid that you steal. Traps are going to be laid that you get real full of yourself. All kinds of stuff that eliminates you as a real proactive part of the gospel in this community. I don't want that to happen. Uh, Paul prays for other parts of the church constantly. 
for spirit, and this is what he prays for him. Here's what I pray for, for, for sanctuary today, for spiritual wisdom and new revelation of God. This does not mean revelation outside of the Bible. It always means revelation that is conjunction with what the Bible says. But this piece right here, listen to it, um, spirit of wisdom and of revelation. There is earthly wisdom. There is earthly wisdom. But spiritual wisdom goes above and beyond that. It's like a thousand-foot view constantly in your own life, realizing where you are, but also where you're called to be. With open hands, we say to the Holy Spirit, Lord, guide me where you want me to go. Call me to give what you want me to give. Lord, just completely use me. Because I've, I've found this in my own sin state. The more I am focused on just having my days and nights, not filled just with activity, but filled with conversation, prayer to the Lord, there is less time to contemplate sin. Amen? Idle time is a scary thing. So I want you to rest. I want you to be that person. I got seven and a half hours of sleep last night. That's unprecedented. I was at Brian's house. He's got this, this guest bedroom that was like a cocoon. I went to sleep seven and a half hours. Thank you, brother, so much. I want you to get rest, but also just encourage you in the body of Christ to stay active in the pursuit of Jesus. Do you wake up praying? Do you, when you wake up at 2 or 3, 4 a.m., you 20-year-olds don't know anything about that. It's a real fun thing that happens about 40. You begin to wake up at four, you're like, I'm awake. Why am I awake? Well, you're awake to pray. You're awake to appeal to the Father. You're awake to pray for your children. You're awake to plead with God that he would change you from the inside. That's what you're awake for. That's what God is calling us to do. Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart. How about that? Open the eyes of my heart. We sing that. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches, wealthy God, of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work of his great might? We can see with our hearts. Now, juxtapose this over what Paul says about don't trust your heart. So when you say, like, hey, I'm just going to go with my heart on this one, be very, very careful. What this passage is saying in accordance with Scripture and God's precepts, you can trust your heart in that direction. Your formation for your life will always be aligned with where Scripture says you're headed. It will never be apart from it, okay? We can recognize real hope. Now, we worked through this definition yesterday morning uh, in our Bible study, and Merriam-Webster's defines hope as an anticipation of something, like um, desiring something to happen. Like I went and got a, a prime rib last night at Clancy's, big 16-ounce, super, that's my thing, nice and rare. It was so good. Um, I was hoping when I ordered it, it would come out the way I wanted it to be, but maybe, maybe it wasn't going to, okay? That's not the Greek definition for hope. Hope is this in the Greek, an actual, factual thing that is already accomplished. You get that difference right there? We're saying, I hope in game is good. I hope that steak is hot. It may or may not be. I hope my mother's nice at this dinner. I, I hope my kids don't run away from me for the 57th time. That's one of them right there, okay? We saying we hope those things, but here's the deal. Hope in Greek means this, an actual factual thing that is completed, is finished. So we can use it this way. My wife, Selena, little five foot one Latin woman, 
She's tough. If she were a dude, she'd be seven foot tall, 350, okay? Very tough little lady. Um, My sweet wife, I know she loves me and I love her. So I can say, I hope in my wife's love. It doesn't mean I'm anticipating that maybe she will love me. My statement is saying, I know that she does. So when we hope in Christ, we're not saying, as some religions do, I hope I'm saved. You ask some of your Muslim brothers and sisters in our community, if they're the best Muslim they can be, are they going to heaven? Their response to you, in accordance with the Quran, would be maybe. We don't know. Catholics will tell you the same thing. You can lose your salvation. Some evangelical churches say the same thing, too. That's not what Scripture says. It's that the Holy Spirit seals us, okay? We can recognize real hope in Christ by knowing that what he has done on the cross 2,000 years ago is still applicable to our lives today. And regardless of the stuff you pulled this week, regardless of the things you are a part of, if there is conviction and repentance in your heart, then Christ already looks upon you as the same way he did before you did those actions. We hope in Jesus, not anticipate that he will do something we realize that he already has. We hope in Christ. We can understand how wealthy we are. We can comprehend God's supreme power. It's unstoppable. God says in Isaiah, the earth is my footstool. What can you make for me? All right? He's known us before we were born. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. God the Father accomplished this work through God the Son. May we always, every day, go back and preach to ourselves the truth of our gospel. May we every day be in awe of the fact that the creator of the universe would allow himself to be created as a man who scripture says had brothers and sisters. At 12, he knew who he was. He was confounding leaders in the temple. This was in front of people that had memorized Genesis to Malachi. Okay, and at 12, he was blowing their minds. He doesn't come on the scene until he's 30 years old. That's 18 years by my math. What was Jesus doing during that time? You know what he was doing? He's a carpenter with his bros. He's taking care of stuff in a little nowhere town, loving God, serving God, knowing that he was God. And he waited on who? He waited on the Father. That'll preach in itself right there. Are we waiting on God's sovereign power and control in our situations? Then at 30, he began to, Scripture said, speak with authority. Uh, Nobody had ever heard somebody speak like that way in the temple before. He knew the Scriptures. Uh, He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He would call out the Pharisees in the back while he was preaching. That's pretty cool, right, Pastor Joe? Have you ever done that? Neither have I. I've wanted to a few times, but I've never done it. Like Jesus would be preaching and be like, hey, the whitewashed guys in the back settle down. So anyway, in Isaiah, that's something. Walk into a crowd and he would heal people. Remember when he's at Peter's house and the preaching, he's preaching so well and he's teaching stuff that nobody can get in. And what do some of the young guys bring? One of their friends who can't walk, right? And they get there. And here's how I know they were young men. They get there and they're like, let us in. We are our brother. He can't walk. And they're like, sorry, stinks for you. Like, I got my seat right here. These dudes do what? Well, I guess we can't get in. We'll just wait outside. That's what 40-year-olds would have done. <laughs> 19, 20-year-olds would be like, let's tear the roof off. <laughs> yeah, we could, we're good for it. We'll rebuild it later. 
So they go up while Jesus is preaching. It's kind of like a two-story open air where the animals were downstairs. The people would stay upstairs. Jesus is probably down that lower area. They begin to rip the stinking roof off and then drop their friend right in front of Jesus. Jesus has the Pharisees in the room, and he says, as he's looking at the Pharisees, your sins are forgiven. He lays out the I am right away. I am God. I have power to do this. And so everybody will know that this is true. Stand up and walk. Everybody knew the guy. And he walked out that day. You understand that Jesus freed him that day from the the understanding that he had done something to curse God. Because every blind person, every lame person, every hurt person had obviously sinned or their parents had sinned against God. That was their understanding. Do you understand that 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 young man had never been in the temple? Because you weren't allowed to move people on the Sabbath. Do you understand like his whole life changed right there? This is who Jesus was. God the Father accomplished this through God the Son. This beautiful tandem of relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He brought Jesus back from the dead. How? God has authority over death. And so if God has authority over death, what part of our lives right now does he not have authority over? Why is our response right now, Lord, I believe you, you can do mighty things, but you're never going to change this situation. How many of you have been praying for a loved one to come to Christ for more than a year? Raise your hand. Saints, how many of you have been praying for somebody more than five years? More than 10? More than 20? Me too. Me too. There is a need for us to understand that God can do whatever he wants to do, and we don't get to dictate that. We don't get to, come on, Lord, right now, if I say this, this is where some of my Pentecostal brothers and sisters miss it. If I say this and do this, you have to respond. God's no one's monkey, y'all. He is God, and he will do what he chooses to do. But we have capacity to bang at the door and say, Lord, if it please you, save my family member. Lord, if it please you, keep my child from this sickness. Lord, if if it pleases you, Lord, bring my marriage back together. Can God do it? Yes, he can. He seated Jesus at his right hand, place of honor. He made his name above every name for all time. We see in the New Testament that why Jesus was given the name that is above every name because of his radical obedience. He obeyed the Lord. He was God, yet he set aside those godly attributes and he just obeyed. He prayed, he obeyed, he allowed people to mock him and treat him horribly. And yet his response was, not my will, Lord. God, but your will be done. Finish it up right here. 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the full, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Um, there's a lot right there, but here's the part of this. I want you to know all things are under the authority of King Jesus. There is only one God. There is only one Savior. There is only one redemption that's taken place, and that's the shed blood of Jesus. And if Jesus is head of the church, it makes him senior pastor, right? Jesus is senior pastor of the church. If he is head of the body and we are the body, we must go where the head goes, amen? I know this is super simple, but we miss it all the time. Some of the so-called political pundits right now are saying they're Christians, and yet they're looking at God's word and saying, yeah, but I don't do these things. Then you're not a follower of Christ, bro. It's just that simple. Either you obey or you don't, like Pastor Joe was talking about before. We do these things or we don't. 
So if Jesus is the head of the church and we are the body, where Jesus goes, we must follow or we are dead. Can't separate the head from the body. So I want to finish up with this. I pray for Sanctuary Church that you guys would be a mature church, not just an emotion. Emotions are good. I love emotions. Remember, I got daughters. I know all about emotions. Okay, I love emotions, but emotions must be sequestered under calling. Emotions, if, if I lived on emotions, when the alarm clock goes off at 530, I'm like, I kind of feel like I don't want to get up today. Click, and I just don't work. You know, my kids don't come downstairs and say, we've thought about it, we're not going to school today. We just wanted to let you know. That's their emotions. Why do we get to do that in our Christianity? Lord, here am I, send me, but here's where I want you to send me. Here's what I'm willing to do. Here's the hours that I'll work for you. Here's what I will give you, but Lord, you are my master. No, you're trying to be God's partner. If we as the church sequester our emotions under the calling of our senior pastor, as Jesus moves and as Jesus goes, we will join him. And that's where the blessing lies. And that's where the fear goes down and the faith goes up. That's my prayer for you guys here at Sanctuary. Let me, let me pray. We'll call it a day. Almighty God, like we, we, if we don't think we're broken, Lord, help us to understand how broken we truly are. If we don't think that we are sinners, Lord, reveal our sin to us right now. If we believe, Lord, that we're doing everything necessary right now to obey you, then open the eyes of our heart, Lord, and allow us to receive from you who you are. There is grace there. It's not like for your church you have, you have punishment. You may have discipleship. But there's no punishment for us. We're, there's no condemnation for those of us that are found in Christ, Romans 8.1. We believe you. We have all these gifts, Lord, you've already bestowed upon us. I pray that you allow us to walk in them, that our, that our hearts would be open to the truth, the definition of who we really are, so that we can say by your power alone, Lord, no to sin and yes to righteousness, that you can bring sanctuary closer together. As Pastor Joe leads them. Father, um, give him great wisdom and all the things that he's dealing with in his life, I pray that you would raise up this body to support their leaders, to love their leaders, to care for their leaders, and to protect their leaders. And I pray that this church would flourish. There's people in this community that need to know you. They need to know who their identity is because of your shed blood on the cross. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. I just want to continue that little spirit of prayer there. You said a couple of things about our fear and anxiety. Then he talked about the power and the authority of Jesus. So just real quick, if you would do this for me, just bow your head, close your eyes. If you would just say, Pastor Joe, I'm kind of eating up with some fear, kind of eating up with some anxiety. I'd like to pray right now that the Lord, that Jesus would exercise his power and authority over these things because fear and anxiety are about to eat me up. Would you just put your hand up? I want to pray with you about those things, but keep it up. Could be job, child, future, whatever it is. There are these truths that we looked at in Ephesians, and you are going to proclaim right now, God, that this fear and anxiety, Lord, is not going to rule our hearts. They're real. We don't want to deny that they're real. They're real. 
God, we don't want them to rule us. God, let your power and your authority be exercised over these things in our hearts, God, whether it's our physical health or our children's salvation or our uh, kids' futures or our futures or our health or our finances. God, whatever it is, job situations, Father. God, I pray that we wouldn't be faithless people, practical pagans. God, I pray that we would be... uh, faithful followers of Jesus. And that means that you've given us these truths to drive out fear and anxiety. So God, I pray that your power and your authority would be exercised over this in our lives. God, free us, free us from the fear that would rule us. In your name I pray. Amen.